Hello, everybody! Welcome to College Hoops Chat. I'm your host, Jim Maysano. This is your weekly college basketball radio show here on WVOX, 1460 AM, in the great city of New Rochelle, New York, in Westchester County, home of the Iona University Gales. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being with us. We made it. We got here. Today is the opening day of college basketball. No more countdowns. No more thinking about the college basketball season. Games are happening today across the country. College basketball is tipping off in America. And today in the studio with me is our number one caller, best friend of this radio show, Kenny Nixon, better known as Kenny from Rye. Hello, Kenny. James, how we doing? It's good to be here. Well, happy to have you. All right, because Kenny's here on our opening day kickoff show to help me through. Hope everybody's doing well. And um, big news for the Iona Gales this week. You know, just a few days before tip-off for the entire country, the NCAA uh, has a special committee that releases the results of their investigation to Louisville. Now, this scandal goes back so long ago that it was when Rick Pitino, the now Iona coach, was coaching Louisville, led to his firing. Uh, it's part kind of been covered like in an FBI investigation uh, where there was a TV documentary on HBO about sneaker money paying off uh, a particular player. Happened in other, other teams around the country. So it was a big scandal and Louisville got caught up in it. So it's ridiculous, right, that it took five or six years for the, for the NCAA, NCAA investigatory committee to come to a conclusion. I mean, talk about slow justice. You have to be kidding me, right? But nevertheless, Iona College has been concerned about this and why um, the uh, thing in the charges related to Rick Pitino could lead up to a half a season suspension. So in the charges, the original charges that were uh, presented, uh, if Rick was found fully liable for what they said he did, he could lose a half a season, which means he'd have to step down, uh, not step down, but step aside as the Iona College coach and somebody else would have to coach Iona for 15 games this season. So Iona's been concerned. It's the day they hired Rick Pitino. Obviously, it was a tremendous hire, right? Iona's doing really well. The program's as good as it's ever been. It's a great place, carrying out the great work of Tim Clouse. And you have a Hall of Fame coach, Rick Pitino. But they could have lost him for 15 games this season. So here's the big news. The big news is Rick Pitino got cleared. No suspension, completely cleared, which was really cool for Rick Pitino, really clue. Really cool for Iona University basketball. Now, uh, one cool part of the opinion was that uh, they found that Rick was so strict on enforcing NCAA rules. One of the reasons why the bad guy assistant coaches who did break the rules didn't tell Rick was they thought they would get fired. Actually, and not only did Rick get cleared, he got vindicated that the assistant coaches were scared to go to him to tell them the wrong things they did because they knew that Rick would fire him. So Rick was very pleased. He had a press conference last week. Uh, he was very, very impressive in the press conference. And all of Iona University, Gail Land, is very happy. Kenny from Ryan, any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how, I don't, I, I think I should say he's happy. I think he's relieved uh, due to the fact that there's a few articles where he says they they took the great job away from me. So there's obviously a little bit of bitter feelings left. And obviously that hung over him uh, personally. And then obviously from my owner's perspective, the school 
Uh, and as I say, I, I, you've seen it as much as a half half of the season or even a full season, depending on how bad it got. But as you say, and I don't know if COVID had anything to do with it, but it seems to be out of sight, out of mind. Um, and so that this will, fortunately, for his purposes, go away. It was very short-lived in the news and, and, and good news, and then we'll be able to move on. Interesting quotes. I'll throw them out there by Rick Pitino that I kind of was drawn to. Uh, they asked him about... Uh, the Louisville 2013 championship banner, which was taken down at the campus. He says, you can't rewrite history. We didn't use steroids. We didn't steal signs. You can't take that away. He's probably right. Put the darn banner back up. You can't take away a championship. It's nonsense. Uh, personally, one of my favorite quotes, if not my favorite quote from Rick in his press conference was, quote unquote, from Rick Pitino, I'm against hearsay. I've had enough of it to last five years, uh, to last a lifetime. Because uh, he was cleared twice now by NCAA investigations. But nevertheless, media articles to this day stay online ripping him, attacking him based on hearsay, based on BS. Um, and those don't go away. Unfortunately, the world we live in now with the internet, all the nastiness by reporters that didn't know what they were talking about uh, are still out there attacking Rick. And he's upset about that. Some people asked him, did he feel uh, vindicated? Here's what he said. Do I feel vindicated? It's really not important anymore. Another quote I liked was, the past, sometimes you want to forget, other times you want to cherish. Take your lumps and you get tougher. He clearly was humble. That was the thing I thought was most interesting. I think some people kind of thought in the media, pre, uh, leading up to Rick's press conference, that he might gloat. He was the furthest thing from gloating. Maybe relieved, as Kenny from Rye say, said, but he also uh, was um, somewhat humble and just wanted to move on and coach Iona this year. Uh, will, will Rick be at Iona next year? It's a whole other issue for another day. But he's clearly dedicated, excited about this upcoming season. So why don't we get into the Gales, Kenny from Rye? Good idea. Good idea to move on for Rick as well. Yes, Rick wants to move on and coach. So uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see the Iona College Gales. And the reason is that what I keep hearing from people I talk to who have been in the gym, I have not been in the gym to see a practice, but I know people that have. They were very impressed, and they keep saying, the four guards are terrific. I keep getting the four guards are terrific. Now, we know one of them is Walter Clayton, who was in the rotation last year as a freshman, played very, very well. We know that one of those guards is the Juco All-American that they brought in, Dennis Jenkins, six foot three junior, first team All-American uh, for junior college, 15 points a game, five assists a game, four rebounds a game, and shot 40% from three-pointer. There's a lot to like in those stats, Kenny from Ryan. So that's that's probably the second best guard. Another one would be um, Anton Brookshire, six-foot guard from Missouri. He was a four-star SEC recruit to Missouri. Didn't do that well last year. Only about two points a game. Had trouble getting into their rotation. But now he's at Iona in the MAC. This is a kid that can flourish under Rick Pitino. And I guess the other guy they're referring to is Cruz Davis. He's a six-foot-three uh, recruit. Uh, that had uh, high major offers. In particular, Oregon State, I believe he actually once committed to o Oregon State, pulled back and went to Iona instead. So everyone is saying that those four guards are playing terrific throughout the preseason, even going back to the summer. I'm really looking forward to seeing those four guards on the court, Kenny. Yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see. I, I always have a tendency to think that Patino's system is a little bit more difficult for people who come from, I guess you'd say, undisciplined programs. And obviously we know how he emphasizes defense. So they, uh, I think he's going to end up going with, he's going to go with people that he's had in the lineup before to start off with. And then obviously as the things go 
get along and uh, uh, people start to shine or not, then they'll see the adjustment in, in the starting five. But I, I think in the beginning, you're going to see the people that we know from the past, Clayton Jr., Jean-Louis Zelensky, uh, and obviously Nelly Jr. Joseph. So I guess the only question is, is the fifth person. So uh, we, we've penciled in Jefferson, which a number of people, including our friend Guy Filoni. Or, or Parker about. Wise, too, who's the captain. Yeah. He comes back, even though he's a walk, when he does get playing time. Yep, he does. He does. He does. So I'll, I'll be interested to see, but uh, we'll find out, uh, you know, when uh, he puts people on the court. But we know in the beginning of the year, he plays a lot of people. So the one interesting thing about Iona for a MAC conference team is they come at their opponent each week in the MAC conference with Nelly Jr. Joseph, six foot eight junior, who's a star in the MAC. He's a star. He may be the best player in the MAC. Um, and then backing him up, if they need another center to come in, you have Osborne Shima, who's seven foot one, very athletic. Someone that all Rick says when you talk about it, he's very talented, but needs to beef up, needs to get stronger. This is his third year. Hopefully he did get stronger. I do think you could see Osborne and Shima take a big step forward this year. And of course, the other uh, big name on Iona is the Louisville transfer, who kind of split time last year with Dylan Van Eyck. But he had moments where he played very well. And that's Quinn Slazinski. Uh, he's six foot seven, uh, of course, a Louisville recruit. So when you name all these names we just named... Iona is the most talented team in the MAC. Uh, they are a very highly talented mid-major team, and I'm very excited about the Iona season. It might take a little while to get going. They have a tough non-conference schedule, Iona, so they could lose some games in November, December. But I do believe when they get humming in January and February, if, as Kenny pointed out before, it takes a while to learn Rick Pitino's system. When this team starts really hitting their stride in January and February, I think Iona is going to be a terrific basketball team. I think it's interesting, as you mentioned, Shima will be a perfect example of someone who stayed with the program from the beginning. I know everybody seems to move these days if they're slightly disappointed with their playing time. But the fact is that we've seen him now for two years, and he came on as kind of an, let's kind of slightly injured, a little bit out of place his freshman year last year, particularly in the second half. You saw him come on and start to have some significant minutes and give some relief to uh, uh, Junior Joseph, uh, and I'm interested to see what he what he looks like this year, both physically and uh, and and then mentally on the court as well. Because he, if if at seven feet, uh, he turns into you know the type of center that uh, Patino talked about, then he could be a difference maker for them, particularly in the conference games. So we'll see. But we did talk last week in our preseason review with Jaden Daly uh, about the MAC conference, and well, we're excited. Uh, we are, we're season ticket holders, Kenny and I, to Diona University Gales. We're excited about the season. Um, we can't deny the fact that Ryder is loaded too. Ryder, the team that beat Iona last year in the conference tournament, brought back most of their key guys. Uh, they're an excellent team. And, and I'm not going to sit here and just say automatically that Iona is going to beat Ryder in three games this year. Maybe, you know, two games in the regular season, one game uh, in the playoff. Uh, Iona, if, if if they go against Ryder and Ryder's playing their game and playing it well, it's going to be a very tough game for the Iona University Gales. If you want to see who Ryder is all about, they're on TV tomorrow night against Providence College. It's Providence College's Ooh, opening game. Kenny uh, from Rice. 6.30 on FS1. And so we'll get a first-hand look at Ryder and uh, obviously the Providence Friars as well who are expected to be in the midst of the top third of the uh, Big East. So Kenny from Rye, I'm going to tell you this. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't want to get you nervous, but I think Ryder's going to give Providence a game tomorrow. Yeah, I think he's. I, I'm surprised Cooley booked him this early, but this is a, this is a good test for them uh, early on. We know we know what Ryder did in the the second half of the year last year. We know what they did to Iona, 
And uh, obviously they're coming back, and our friends here who have followed the MAC are very, very high on them. So I would expect a very good game tomorrow. Very good game. Me too. Here's an interesting game happening today. Um, as you know, Kenny from Rye, because we own a house in North Carolina, we root for the North Carolina Tar Heels in our house. Uh, we've talked about that before, you and I. But we also own the house in Wilmington, North Carolina. And they have a basketball team that's been pretty good over the years. University of North Carolina, Wilmington Seahawks. Guess who's playing tonight? North Carolina Tar Heels against the North Carolina Wilmington Seahawks. Both teams that I like in the state of North Carolina are playing opening game tonight. I'm going to try to get home tonight. I, I recorded that game. I'll be watching that one around midnight. Yeah, there's a lot of games on this evening. And I think, uh, you know, obviously it depends. The, the TV is always looking for those good first games, like you're mentioning with UNC here today, Providence tomorrow. So we would expect some really good games, uh, or I guess you'd say out-of-conference games. Yes. Um, so this is the opening day. So one conference we haven't really talked about. So let me just say something about them because it is a hugely important conference in college basketball. Uh, while we're waiting for our caller, by the way, our caller today is Rocco Miller, a college basketball analyst on Twitter who's excellent. He's a bracketologist. Um, he's very good at knowing college basketball scheduling. Uh, it's an art form, believe it or not, to schedule a full college basketball season. Uh, he's an interesting guy. We're looking forward to him to call. He's calling from San Francisco, California. So while we're waiting for Rocco to call, I'm looking at the projected standings from the Almanac, a really terrific preseason preview. And they have Indiana number one, Illinois number two, Michigan number three, Ohio State number four, Ohio State number five, uh, I'm sorry, I, Iowa. I just said Iowa, Iowa State. Number five is Iowa. Number six is Michigan State. Number seven is Purdue. Number eight is Rutgers, our nearby school. Nine, Penn State. Ten, Wisconsin. Eleven, Maryland. Twelve, Northwestern, where Kenny from Rice son attended. Uh, 13, Minnesota. Fourteen, Nebraska. So let's take a look at the top there. I mean, when I looked at all these teams, I my attention was to Indiana, too. Uh, they have most of their rotation back. That was pretty good last year. They lost a lot of close games when they lost. Didn't have a great year, but they had a very good year, and they got most of their team back, and they have a star. You know, they have a star in Trace Jackson Davis. So um, I do think Indiana should be the first-ranked team in the Big Ten. So we have our guest caller. So uh, maybe we'll jump, we'll stay when, uh, with the Big Ten when we get on the line. All right, Rocco Miller, are you there? I am here. How are you, how we doing today? That's great. So you just came from a college basketball game, right? That's correct. I am calling you live from the Stanford University parking lot where the game just ended 88-78. Uh, Stanford defeated Pacific just now. That's funny. So, you know, interesting, you know, Rocco. First, first well, let me, let me hold that thought. Let me introduce you. So you're Rocco Miller. You're my friend on Twitter. You're an excellent college basketball analyst, a bracketologist. You're the best guy I know on Twitter, uh, on scheduling. You get the scoops on what teams are scheduling non-conference games better than anybody. Um, so it's been nice to follow you. You seem like a very nice guy, so thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate all the kind words. It's great to be on the show with you. Uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a journey over the last decade plus to uh, kind of figure out and carve out a role within the sport. Obviously, uh, at the end of the day, I'm a junkie just like everybody else that just loves – uh, building relationships with all the different staffs across America, whether it's a high major, a low major, a mid major, doesn't really matter to me. I think there's always a great story to tell, and uh, this sport is absolutely phenomenal. So thanks again. We're so excited for today, opening day, tip off. It's great. Uh, do you do this a full time job now? 
You know, I wish I could claim that I, I do have my regular full-time job still, but it's it's been delegated quite a bit to the point where I can get out and, and cover games, and I'm pretty much available for basketball all of March. Um, it works out very well. I actually travel the country uh, for my full-time job quite often, so I'm able to get out and see about 15 to 20 different leagues in person throughout the season. So really um, what I have in, in place right now is better than the majority of uh, college basketball, like beat writer positions and things of that nature. So I'm pretty satisfied with it. Eventually, you know, things all come together and Joe Lenardi wants to retire. I'll be happy to fill in. Uh, But between now and then, I'm in a good spot and I'm just, I'm lucky to have uh, the access that I get. All right, that's awesome. So, all right, Rocco, let me just tell everybody, you should follow Rocco Miller. It's at Rocco Miller 8 on Twitter. You also, this is your website, bracketeer.org? That is correct. So there's two great place, places to follow Rocco. All right, Rocco, so tell us, how was that Stanford-Pacific game? Yeah, it was it was an interesting game. You know, Stanford was missing Spencer Jones. He's an all-Pac-12 selection, first team, uh, along with Harrison Ingram, who was also a first-teamer. Uh, Harrison was fully available and healthy. Um, the interesting dynamic of the game was uh, Michael Jones, a transfer from Davidson who can shoot the lights out, got rolling early with four threes. Um, they have a 7-1 reserve player, uh, Maxime Moreno uh, from France, uh, who was just a matchup nightmare for Pacific. He started the game 6-for-6, six six, 13 quick points. Uh, long story short, uh, Stanford built up a 19-point lead uh, well into the second half, about 5-10 minutes in. And all of a sudden, when uh, Renault hit the bench, Pacific came storming back with a lot of uh, three-guard lineup. I think at one point they even went to a four-guard lineup. Uh, got that thing down to three at one point. It was 63-60. And then Stanford kind of built it back up to 7-8 the rest of the way, ended up winning by 10. Um, you know, So for Stanford, they've got the built-in excuse that Spencer Jones wasn't available, uh, but they'll need him back quickly because Stanford now has Wisconsin in a, in a kind of a big-time game on Friday, uh, only you know three, four uh, days away from now. They'll play that game at the Brewers ballpark in a very interesting setting um, on on the uh, on top of the baseball field. Wow, so we'll that's how, fun. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. And then after that, next Tuesday, Stanford's back here playing San Diego State, another top 20 team. So they've got two massive games right in front of them. they got to get this thing figured out quick. So let me mention something about Pacific. So we're season ticket holders. Uh, by the way, I'm on the show here with Kenny uh, Nixon, we call him our number one caller, Kenny from Rye. Kenny, say hello to Rocco. Rocco, how are we doing? Nice to have you on. Thank uh, you doing for calling great. in. Yeah, my pleasure. Nice to meet you, Kenny. So we are season ticket holders for the Iona University Gales. Uh, we'll be, we go to all the games. And uh, we have a transfer that played for Pacific. His name is Dennis Jenkins. And everybody's telling us that he's a terrific player, Juco All-American first team last year. Uh, have you ever seen him play when he was at Pacific? I've seen him play on television. I, I honestly um, d- didn't cover any Pacific games the last couple of years. They've been pretty down in the league, and I try to cover the teams that are competing for the uh, for the league title or an at-large bid, uh, especially as the season matures. Um, so I've missed them the last few years, but I certainly know about Denny's Jenkins. I, I think I wrote about him in my piece yesterday for the one-bid league preview, um, and, and you can check that out on bracketsier.org. But, yeah, I'm um, very excited about him, and I think you guys are are going to really enjoy watching him shoot the ball. Yeah, he shot um, 40% from three last year, which apparently is a big improvement since he was a freshman at Pacific. And uh, what we're hearing, it's good scoop for you, Rock. You probably heard it already because you do your homework. But uh, people are saying he's one of the best players in the gym since the summer uh, with Iona University. Yeah, I've been hearing the same. And I, I talked to a few of your Iona folks over there as well, and so I think um, – 
you know, sky's the limit. Patino's obviously got no shortage of talent, especially at the, the Metro Atlantic level. Um, there's a lot to be excited about. I really love the way Iona scheduled. There's a lot of national uh, level games. I know uh, my friends down here in Santa Clara are excited for that matchup when you guys face each other in Las Vegas. Um, you'll also, of course, go to Albuquerque and play a pretty good New Mexico team that a lot of people are sleeping on. Um, anyway, so I just I, I'm excited for your team, and and I think it's a very solid team with NJJ back and a, and a nice cast of of players. So tell us, so you know about Santa Clara? So give us some scoop here. Uh, well, Iona versus Santa Clara. What kind of game will that be? Well, you know, that's Santa Clara is one of the teams I'm very anxious to see play because you know they brought in a uh, a, a transfer from Illinois uh, that, that that the staff continues to tell me about. Uh, Podzienski, I think is his last name, Brandon Podzienski. And um, apparently in their scrimmage game, uh, they they were able to beat Utah narrowly, which is a really good win against a Pac-12 team. Obviously, a scrimmage, who knows what that really means. You've got guys that usually are on the bench playing 10 minutes. So I, I take the scrimmage results with a uh, grain of salt. But I heard from both the Santa Clara and the Utah staff that Podzienski is a lights-out shooter, and he's a big factor uh, that a lot of a lot of folks that are previewing the WCC are not accounting for. Uh, Jaden Bediaco is one of my favorite rebounders in the league. He's back. Uh, of course, Bediaco's other brother plays at Alabama, uh, a much more well-known commodity there. Uh, Keyshawn Just- Justice has had a great career at Santa Clara. He decided to come back for his COVID year this year. So, of course, that gives them uh, inside-outside weapon. He can get really, really hot from outside. Uh, he's also got some post moves, so he's a he's a true inside outside guy. Uh, Car- uh, Carlos Stewart and Carlos Marshall are also two players to keep your eye on, as as they'll be leaning on them pretty heavily. So, um, and I haven't even mentioned uh, Parker Brown, who, who Parker Brown was a, a starter almost every single game last year and a, and a key player. You know, his his brother Christian Brown played for Kansas, went oh, wow, to the sure. NBA this year. Yeah, so I mean, this team is pretty slept on nationally. I'm pretty. Uh, confident in saying they certainly were last year, um, and a lot of people are picking them sixth this year. I have them closer to fourth. All right, Rocco, Rocco, can you hold on? We're, we have a commercial. Can you hold on? Hold on through the commercial with us. Of course. All right, Rocco, hold on, Rocco Miller. It's Jim Misano with Kenny from Rye. Go to commercial break. We'll be right back in a couple of minutes. Okay, folks, we are back on College Hoops Chat. I'm Jim Maceno, your host. I have Kenny from Rye in the studio, and we have a guest on the line, Rocco Miller, a national college basketball analyst and bracketeer. Uh, are you there, Rocco? I am here. All right, so I Hello, want to jump into a conference. We started, right before your call, I started talking about the Big Ten. Uh, most times when I look at the preseason rankings uh, for the Big Ten, they say Indiana. Everybody's got Indiana. What are your thoughts on the Big Ten? Yeah, I, my thoughts is it's, it's as wide open as it may have ever been in the last decade or so. I, I mean, I, I get the Indiana uh, love. You know, TJD is probably uh, deserving of the the preseason player of the year honor. He's been a, a borderline, if not actual, All-American pretty much his entire Indiana career. Uh, but I But I look at the roster and I see a team that's virtually the same as last year. And that's a team last year that barely got into the NCAA tournament. It's a team that, um, you know, got blown off the court by St. Mary's the last time we saw them, I think by almost 40. Um, and so I'm having a tough time wrapping my head around the same guys. You know, of course, they should get a little bit better. They should get even tighter. Uh, maybe they pull out a few more close games than last year. But I have a hard time vaulting them all the way from a bubble team to a, to a power conference champion. 
uh, that easily. So I, I have them more closer to fourth or fifth in the league in my in my projections. Um, I think you know not nothing against Indiana fans or the community. We're all friends, but uh, that's just the way I see it from an outside looking in perspective. Um, I do think you know Michigan, Purdue, and Illinois uh, should make up the top three in terms of what I'm seeing right this minute. Again, it's a, it's it's pretty wide open though. I mean, I, I do like Iowa quite a bit as well. Um, Ohio State's got a few missing parts, but I really trust Chris Holtman as a coach. So I do think Ohio State gets back to the tournament. And I'm tired of doubting Wisconsin. I mean, I, I think on paper it's really hard to justify Wisconsin as a tournament caliber roster. Um, you know, the guys like Chucky Hepburn are really going to have to step up to get Wisconsin back to that level. But last year and the year before, they weren't expected to do much, and boom, Johnny Davis emerges onto the scene, and they get a three seed last year. Um, they, they do it time and time again. At this point, it's a program call. I'm going to go ahead and say Wisconsin's a tournament team, and I, and I, I think Michigan State has just enough. So the Big Ten's interesting. Like, I have eight of their teams going to the tournament, which is more than any other league, but at the same time, they just don't have a dominant team. Like, out of all those eight teams, I could very easily see none of them making the top two seed lines in the actual bracket. I agree. So, let me ask you this question. The team that I was on TV an awful lot of and watching, um, they have a star coming back, a star center named Hunter Dickinson with Michigan. Is there enough around Hunter Dickinson for Michigan to have a great run? Yeah, I think so. And I trust Juwan Howard, you know, in the limited sample size we have from Juwan. You know, last year they, they had their, their their speed bumps throughout the, the journey, and they ended up getting to the Sweet 16, pulling off a couple uh, wins over teams that were seated much higher than them uh, to get there. Now you look at a team, um, you know, I think Jalen Llewellyn's a Princeton transfer. I think you guys are familiar with him in your backyard. Yes. Um, that had a great Ivy League season. Can he fully make the jump to the Big Ten? I think from a ball security standpoint and just a heady high IQ basketball player standpoint, he's going to check those boxes from an athleticism standpoint. And from uh, being able to do some of the things he did in the Ivy league, that's where the mystery is. Cause that's a pretty big jump from the Ivy to a powerhouse like Michigan. So we shall see, but jet Howard, you know, Juwan's, you know, all American son uh, is bursting onto the scene. He's killing it in the exhibition games. You've got some seriously talented guys around Hunter Dickinson. Joey Baker is another veteran guy that comes over from Duke. So I, I do think there's enough there where Michigan's going to have the athleticism and the high IQ, uh, and Dickinson's going to do his thing. So I, I feel pretty good about Michigan finishing probably in the top two in this league. All right, so let's talk about one more team, and that is Illinois, because they're going to be very good, but they're going to have to do it on transfers coming in because they lost so many guys uh, who who were out of out of the program? Uh, a couple by chance were mostly graduated. Uh, tell us about Illinois. Yeah, you're right. They, they, there's some blaring holes there with with the guys they lost. But let's talk about the guys they actually have now. With Terrence Shannon coming from Texas Tech, arguably their best scorer, uh, the guy that gets you a bucket when you absolutely need a bucket, and Matthew Mayer, the mullet man from Baylor, who's already won a national title. I mean, I can't think of two better guys that equal winning uh, than those two to add to your roster. Uh, coming from the Big 12 to Illinois. Um, you still have Coleman Hawkins. You have an All-American high school player in Sky Clark that, you know, Kentucky was all over him. Tons of schools were all over him. He ends up at Illinois. You know you got some big upside with that player. Um, I guess the downside is Luke Good was a was a real solid real player. He'll be, he'll be missing, uh, I think, at least the first two months, maybe three months. So uh, that does hurt them a little bit in the depth area. Uh, but in general, I, I think with building this team around Mayer and Shannon – uh, and, and, of course, the talent around them. Um, I feel pretty good that Illinois will be back at the top. Probably maybe – I think I have them third, but I could easily see them winning it. All right, so last question. I was going to ask you 
give me a dark horse. So I'm going to say because uh, the Almanac has them like 10th. Uh, the Wisconsin's your dark horse in the Big uh, Ten? Yeah, we can call them a dark horse. I also I can see Purdue winning the league, and I think the Almanac's kind of low on them as well. Um, and I say that because now Zach Eady's going to have the paint to himself. He's a matchup nightmare at 7-4. He probably goes from 19 minutes a game to closer to you know, 27, 28 minutes a game. Mason Gillis is a really solid player. You know, they have a, uh, you know, a real wild card with David Jenkins coming in from three different schools where he's had his ups and downs. Um, but I, but I think just that nucleus with Gillis and Edie, Braden Smith, uh, a potential big time breakout freshman, um, Purdue could actually go on and win this league because I trust Matt Painter as a coach. I do too, but he never does well in a tournament. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's a great regular season coach. He is. All right, so I'm going to jump to a brand new conference because we don't have all we have we have to watch time here. Uh, Big Twelve. The Almanac has Kansas number one in the Big Twelve. I don't see that. I'm more of a Baylor guy there. I'm more of a TCU guy out in the Big Twelve. What are you thinking? Yeah, I, I think I'm on Baylor to win it. Absolutely. I mean, today's game you can't really take any. Anything into consideration? It was a it was a mismatch and a half with uh, Mississippi Valley State coming to town. But the thing I love about Baylor is uh, obviously very well coached. You know, El- Adam Flagler's still there. Uh, you-, you get Jalen Bridges back. You, you got uh, sorry, Jalen Bridges comes into the fold. Uh, Flo Thamba's still there in the middle to protect the rim. Langston Love was a huge recruit last year, went down with the ACL. He looks good today. He looks fearless. I saw him attack the rim a few times. It's one of the only reasons to really watch the game today is to kind of see how some of these guys emerge. Keontae George, everybody's hyped about him on, you know, with their big recruit coming in. So I think there's a lot there. Plus you can bank on the the success they've had just in the last five years. Uh, I think they're right there in contention with anybody else to win the whole thing. Now I want to come to your coast. We want to do a little coast action. Tell us about the Pac-12. What's going on in that conference? Yeah, so the Pac-12, I think it's still Arizona and UCLA at the top. UCLA deserves to be the pick for the for the uh, conference champion. Uh, when, whenever you have a guy as steady as Tiger Campbell as your point guard, it's really, really hard to pick against a team like that. He is basically a exact model of Mick Cronin's brain on the court. He basically takes all of Mick Cronin's thoughts and, and puts them on display on the court. Not only that, but he, last year he went from a 23% three-point shooter to a uh, sorry, a 25% three-point shooter to a 41% three-point shooter, a drastic 16-point uh, percentage point increase. And UCLA is so deep. Uh, they brought in three new heralded freshmen to go along with the supporting cast. I, I think they're the, the obvious pick. And I'm a huge believer in Tommy Lloyd's Arizona run-and-gun system. I think it blows most of the teams they play off the court before the game even really gets going. I think that immediately gets them to 20 wins, and I think the other five to ten wins will come uh, from a variety of great play. I think Tell Larson uh, might win Pac-12 Player of the Year, uh, much like last year. Benedict Mathurin won Player of the Year after having a great international spring. Tell Larson just did the same thing for Team Sweden, um, so you can count on him making that big jump this year. He also won Sixth Man of the Year last year in the Pac-12, so it's not like he's a slouch. I think when it comes to other teams, uh, the league is looking at Oregon and USC to be the next teams in line. You know, Oregon is on a little bit of shaky ground. There's some locker room and potential injury issues there. Uh, but you can depend on Dana Altman getting it figured out by February, March. Uh, so you got to respect what Oregon brings. USC uh, brings in a 7-1 freshman that, again, is going to be another mold of the Mobleys that we've seen the last handful of years. Drew Peterson and Boogie Ellis are still there. So they, they appear to be maybe a bubbleish team, but I, you got to kind of think they're getting in. And then teams like Stanford, 
Washington State, Washington, Colorado, Utah, they're all right there one step away from maybe vaulting themselves to a tournament team. So it's really difficult to predict. I'm starting the year with four teams in, but this could easily build to like six or seven if they win enough non-conference games in this league. Right, so it's UCLA, Oregon, Arizona, USC, and then you got a couple other teams like a Stanford or a Washington uh, that has a shot. That's correct. All right, we, Kenny from Rye, that's his nickname on the show, Rocco, wants to ask you a question because you mentioned Santa Clara. Yeah, I was just looking, you know, we were talking about, you were mentioning uh, the WCC conference there in particular, and obviously uh, Portland, or excuse me, Pacific. You know, it's a it's a conference that always has a tendency to be, I guess you'd say, just slightly below the Power Five, as you say, particularly in, in speaking about basketball. And there's always a team that slips in. Now, obviously, Gonzaga, you know, keeps them in the headline. But one of the things they struggle with that they complain about is that they're always on on at midnight here in the East Coast. So no one in the East Coast has any idea who they are for the most part. You know, e- even through Chicago, what what's your thought process outside of Gonzaga, who we know a lot about, uh, what the conference looks like this year? And is there anybody that's going to surprise us? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, the TV deal is the TV deal, but I think it actually is fortunate from a monetary standpoint. The league uh, renegotiated a deal, I think, three years ago. That is, you, you can tell by the upgrade in a lot of these rosters beyond Gonzaga how much better they've gotten in just the last few years. I mean, Santa Clara is a great example. You look at Loyola Marymount vaulting all the way to fourth a couple of years ago. Uh, San Francisco made the tournament last year. That would have been unthinkable five years ago. And so there's just uh, the, the financial gains of each of these members is having a great impact for the uh, top-to-bottom quality of the league itself. As far as this year, Gonzaga is obviously the clear number one. Uh, but after that, St. Mary's should be more than solid enough to get back to the, to the dance. They scheduled a really brilliant non-conference schedule. They have a lot of high, uh, highly regarded mid-major teams coming to, uh, coming to town. I'm actually covering the game tonight. I've got a doubleheader today. Oral Roberts will be here tonight. And then they'll play Vermont Thursday, North Texas Sunday. It's a heck of an opening week, but they get all those games at home, so they should win them. And later on, they'll play Wyoming and San Diego State on a neutral court. They've just done a really brilliant job of not only building uh, their roster, but their schedule. Logan Johnson, I think, is the best on-ball defender in the league. He's back. You've got Duke is back, Bowen back. You know, Marshallonis is ready to bust out. His dad, Sharunas, was an NBA legend uh, in my hometown of Seattle, and he played for the Golden State Warriors. So there's, there's uh, plenty in the cupboard for Randy Bennett and the Gales to get back. So I think those are your two safe choices. After that, BYU's got some upside. Santa Clara, I've already talked about, has upside. San Francisco's going to maybe have the best trio of guards Rocco, in the league. Could you, Rocco, there's music coming on. Could you hold on for one more commercial? Absolutely. You're no the best. All. all right, Rocco Miller will hold. We're going to commercial break, and we'll be right back. Folks, we're back on Kyle Troops Chat Radio Show. I'm Jim Maysano, your host. We have Kenny from Rye in the studio and Rocco Miller on the line. All right, Rocco, you still there? I'm here. I have to ask you about some uh, gossip I'm seeing on Twitter because you're out there and you would know better than most. Is Gonzaga leaving the WCC? We don't know for sure, but my inclination would be they're definitely going to be probably out of out of the WCC within a couple of years. Just the way the conference realignment trickled out effect from football is starting to go you know if ucla and usc do in fact leave in 2024 it's going to have a major domino effect to the point where uh they'll be looking at gonzaga very seriously uh, as well as san diego state and others big 12's already shown interest has been reported last week and you know the big east has had rumors with gonzaga so at a certain point i feel like they'll get plucked um but it's going to 
require a few other moves to happen first, if that makes sense. It does. I, my thinking on Gonzaga's move, which we all think is somewhat inevitable, is that um, it makes the most sense for the Pac-12 because the problem when you move conferences is you're not just bringing your top-flight basketball program, you're bringing all these other non-revenue-generating sports. And I never thought Gonzaga to the Big East made much sense because you're really going to be sending the water polo team uh, in the uh, from uh, Gonzaga out to play Big East schools. It really doesn't make sense, but I thought the Pac-12 makes perfect sense. Yeah, you know, I, I think the the fit with the Big East was just the, the the private school basketball first mentality, which is pretty much the entire Big East. Right. Uh, the Pac-12, the Pac-12 is built on a foundation of academics and Olympic sports for a lot of these schools, uh, and so Gonzaga doesn't fit either of those. Uh, but from a geographical standpoint, of course, it makes sense. And if you if you lose UCLA and USC, you start to lose some of that luster of the uh, you know some of the Olympic sports and the academics. So things start to open up when that move, when it, when and if it does happen. Now, uh, if I'm Gonzaga, I would prefer the pack because they've built their brand being able to dominate their league year in and year out. They've been to 25 consecutive WCC tournament championship games, and they've won, I think, 21 of those 25. So this is a team and a program and a fan base that is used to just destroying nearly everybody in their path throughout the regular season, and then whatever happens in the tournament happens in the tournament. But in order to keep that going, if they go to the Big 12, they could very quickly slip to the middle. If they go to the Big East, they should stay near the top, but it's a little less of a guarantee because you have all that travel. If they come here to the Pac-12 the way it stands right now, it would be them, Arizona, and UCLA at the top, and a clear tier below that those three. So at least out of the three options, that would give them the most opportunity to maintain what they've built which is a dominant, dominant regular season program. I have to tell you, Rocco, that's a great point. I agree. And, I'm, you know, I'm a funny college basketball fan. You know, I have the schools that I root for, but I'm like a secret, uh, I have a secret crush on Gonzaga. It must be so much fun to be a Gonzaga fan. I mean, every year your team wins 30-plus games. Um, they just keep reloading. They're very well coached. And it must be, I mean, I'm sure you've been there many times. To watch a game at the kennel must be amazing. I actually haven't been to the kennel. It's uh, it's funny. They, they only bring in 4,000 people. I think now they would bring me in no problem. I actually covered five Gonzaga games last year because we had the St. Mary's game and the San Francisco game here locally. Uh, we had the, I had the two games in Vegas for the WCC tournament that they that they won, and then I had them back here in San Francisco when they played in the Sweet 16 and got upset by Arkansas. So I ended up having them five times last year. It's probably the most I've covered them in a year. Uh, but you're right. Like I, I'm originally from the Seattle area, same state, and there is a, a real cult following um, of Gonzaga. Um, that is na- it's a national following now. And in the last 10 years, a lot has changed in terms of deepening that dominance, uh, connections to Nike, connections to USA Basketball that delivered them Chet Holmgren and Jalen Suggs. And they're just getting a whole different level of player in the last handful of years than they were even getting at the start of this run. And I think that makes it much more sustainable. But in order for that monetary and those relationships to sustain themselves and grow, uh, they're going to have to eventually make this move to a power league and, uh, like I mentioned earlier, figure out a way to stay at the top of those power leagues, not just be another member. All right, one last question on the WCC, and I know you you do know this conference better than most. It seems to me, just as an observer all the way out here in New Rochelle, New York, but it's one of those situations uh, when the tide rises, all the boats rise. As Gonzaga got uh, got better and better, eventually became one of the best programs in the country. It seems like 
they have brought up all of the WCC programs. Yeah, and that's that's where we're at today. I mean, look at you can just look at the coaching hires alone. You know, perfect example was last off season. Shante Lagans takes uh, Eastern Washington to the tournament, makes big noise. They were beating Kansas at halftime. Uh, you have the beard guy Groves and his twin and his brother uh, eventually go to Oklahoma, but they made all sorts of noise. He was a hot coaching name in the in the carousel last year. He ends up taking the job at the University of Portland, a team that's been at the bottom of the WCC for basically a decade. Terry Porter coached that team before. They went nowhere in five years. I think they were 300-plus in the Ken Palm rankings all five of those years. And for him to take that job and see the vision and and for the University of Portland itself to make the financial commitment to basketball at that moment of time spoke volumes not only about his decision but about their decision to mutually come together on that. And now in one short year, Portland's like everybody's dark horse in the WCC um, you know, I've got them sixth, so I think there is a limit potential on that roster. But I can very easily see them crack the top 100 this year, maybe even reach the top 75, and be a thorn in a lot of teams' uh, side in this league. That's the very bottom of what the WCC was just a couple of years ago. Now you look at San Diego, who goes out and gets a big national name like Steve Lavin to take over their program. Um, so there, this is an attractive conference for all types of coaches, either up-and-comers or well-known guys like Steve um, and so I think that speaks volumes. You don't have to look very hard to figure that out. Right, I agree. So Kenny Farai has a question. Yeah, I have a quick question, Rocco. When you talk about realignment in the Gonzaga situation, I, I always say be careful what you wish for from a perspective of if they move to the, the Pac-12, as you say, and then obviously USC and UCLA leave, you know, football still dominates from a perspective. Even the University of Washington, you mentioned you're from that area. You know, they, they draw yeah. you know, enormously well. They do well. They're, they do well nationally. They may even do better when UCLA and, U, and USC leaves. So you know, we've, ha- we've had this experiment out east here with the Big East trying to combine basketball teams with, with f- football schools, and then football started to dominate, and it never worked. And it was a disaster, to be honest with you. And then from a perspective of the realignment, letting them go and then, and then focusing on basketball, it has raised the level of play. Now, obviously, Villanova's you know, winnings over the last 10 years and two national championships helped the league kind of explode. But again, I, I always think, be careful what you wish for. Gonzaga leaves, they go, they go there, and then all of a sudden they're going to get run over by the teams that obviously for money purposes have football, like the University of Washington. So wh- where does that stand? Is it just because of the fact it's a better TV deal, more national exposure? What is, what is, the, th- what is the point if you say the WCC is getting better coaches, betting, getting better TV contracts, et cetera? Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic question. And, you know, I, I, I wish for everybody to kind of stay where they are because we're, we're comfortable with this model. Um, it's very difficult for me as a West Coast person to kind of explore these options, but I'm, but I'm answering your questions from a business perspective because I feel like that's the only realistic way to answer the mm-hmm. questions. And I just think, you know, in talking to the people that work at the Pac-12, that work at the WCC, in fact, two, you know, both of their commissioners were here today at the Pacific Stanford game, so I'm coming fresh off of some of these discussions I had before game time today. Um, it just seems like that's where it's going to go should UCLA and USC leave. There's also a very good chance that Washington and Oregon uh, also get invited to the Big Ten within the next year. And if they get invited just with the money difference today, uh, it's going to be very, very difficult for either of those schools to say no either. Um, So we would be looking at a very different Pac-12 in a scenario where Gonzaga finally enters, which I think wouldn't happen until 2025. Um, and, and, you know, Big Big 12's after Gonzaga. Big East could be after Gonzaga. So we'll see how it shakes out, but I think – you're right. Like, long term, I would be nervous as a Gonzaga fan because uh, some of those examples we gave. We, a very good example, I think, 
maybe at a little bit lower extreme, is Wichita State. They were everybody's darling in 2013, made it to the Final Four, got invited to the American Athletic Conference. They had some pretty good years in the AAC, you know, got to the tournament a few more times. But look at them now. They're just another team in the AAC. They're actually picked ninth by a lot of people. And the luster has finally kind of worn off. You know, if, if a Mark Few leaves, if the connection to USA Basketball goes away, you could see even a, a, an established 25-year mainstay like Gonzaga slowly slipping into the middle of the pack in a big, bigger league. And I think that's the risk. It's not only the risk for Gonzaga and their fans and their community, but it's also the risk of whatever conference decides to invite them. Right. Uh, Rocco, we have about a minute or two left, so I want to ask you one last question. It seems to me, and you're like the schedule guy, nobody knows scheduling like you, the first big game for fans to watch, like the biggest game this week, this opening week, is on an aircraft carrier, the USS Abraham Lincoln in San Diego, this Friday night, Michigan State and Gonzaga. Is that fair to say? I mean, yeah, that's going to get all the national attention. I think that's fair to say. say. I mean, you know, I like all college basketball, so I think there's a lot more games I would rather watch personally. But, yeah, that's, that's a big-time game that they went out of their, their way to schedule. You know, I'm, I'm not looking at the schedule right in front of me, but I know there's a lot of great games coming up on Veterans Day. I mentioned Stanford playing Wisconsin. That will be very interesting on a baseball field. Uh, you got the aircraft carrier game. You know, we're going to have a Nashville championship tournament with mid-major teams that are all intriguing. Harvard will be there with Louisiana and East Tennessee State and others. Um, you know, there, there's an onslaught of good games this weekend. Um, and, a, and a heavier dose on Friday, actually, because it is Veterans Day. I think the way they've lined it up for television is we'll have great games on from noon Eastern on. Um, so certainly looking forward to that. Um, I'm already looking forward to so many games tonight still that it's really hard for me to transition to Friday. Um, but I know Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this week are pretty light overall nationally. Um, so after we get through today, Friday will become the, the immediate focus. Well, yeah, perfect timing, Rocco. There's the music. Rocco, I can't thank you enough. You did a fabulous job to help our listeners prepare for the season. Keep up the great, great work, Rocco. And hopefully we can get you back on the show another time. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime you guys want me, I'm yours. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you, Rocco. Thank you, Kenny from Rye. James, great to be here. Thank you for the invite. Everybody enjoy the games. We kicked off the season today. See you next week. Bye-bye.